Today we begin a brand new series, The Choice is Yours, and over the next weeks we are going to place in front of us opportunities for us to make choices, and we're going to have you and me and all of us in the rooms ask this question, what choice can I make? Is there really a different choice I can make in regards to relationships and friendships and things that happen to me? And and today's choice is this, where you realize it or not, you and I have a choice to not be offended. When someone offends us, we can make a conscious choice to say, I choose not to be offended by what you just did to me. I can make the choice, and you can make the choice, to overlook an offense done to us. We don't have to respond the way the majority of time we have. We can look at this situation, this person who does something to us, a group of people, and say, you know what? I choose not to be offended by this. Imagine for a second if you and I took that road the majority of the time. Imagine for a second if we did that when we were offended by something someone said, something someone did, or someone something did to us. We have many opportunities to be offended. Every time we get in a vehicle and we drive, we have an opportunity to be offended. Either you offend someone, or they offend you by the way they drive. For instance, how many of you have been on a trip, and you're traveling from point A to point B, and as you're traveling on this interstate, you begin to see this sign that says, all traffic merge right. All traffic merge right, because there is a detour at the six-mile mark from here. And so for those that are rule followers from the get-go at mile six, as soon as you see the sign, what do you do? You merge right over. And for the rest of us, we wait to the last second to get over. Think about how many times have you been driving down through traffic and there's this detour sign that says merge, and then another two miles, merge, merge in three miles. In, In one mile, there will be one lane. And so While you're over here, we're over here in this lane merging, you can see down the interstate that this merge must take place or there's going to be a collision of sorts. How many of you have already merged? You're in the merge lane. You're driving along. You're obeying the signs. And you look in your side mirror and there they come. You know know that guy. And you're getting closer to this merging point. And he's coming. He's been coming for 50 miles, and he's been coming 110 miles in the 50 miles. And you look, and you have a conscious decision to make. What is it? Will I let him over? Now, how many of you have ever been offended by that guy? How many? Rest of you are lying. All of you have been offended sometime by that guy. How many of you have ever been that guy? Rest of you are lying. It didn't raise your hand. How many of you have come to that point where you're getting closer, and you see him coming, and there's some... I'm a, Offended. I, I obeyed the law. I drove six miles in this lane. You're not getting over. How many of you just cruise right up to that bumper in front of you and just... Boom, boom? How, many? how many of you have closed him out? And how many of you drove away and inside you were going... Why? Because you were offended by that. How many of you have ever have, have driven along and it's been a different kind of day? Maybe you had six cups of coffee that morning and you're feeling better. How many of you have driven along and you've merged and you let that guy over and the guy behind you is... <laughs> <laughs> we have a choice in all situations. Listen to me. Every single situation in your life, you and I can make a choice 
I refuse to be offended by this. I choose not to be offended. Today, I'm going to show you a story of a father who had a chance to be offended on two separate occasions. But in both occasions, he chose not to be offended. And because of that, he took the high road. And those that even offended him, one took the high road and the other didn't. Grab your Bibles and turn to the the book of Luke. Luke chapter 15. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand today. But turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read this account of a father and two sons in Luke chapter 15 in verse 11 through 32. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, in the New Testament, chapter 15, let's read verses 11 through 32. Stand with me as we read God's word and read it out loud together. (coughs) Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Let's read this. Ready, read. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You may have a seat. We can see from this account that the father was wronged twice. The father was wronged by the younger son. The father was wronged by the older son. And yet we see from this account that both times we're going to soon find out that the father who was offended or had an offense against him chose not to be offended. 
And I'll begin by saying that. It is possible to choose to not be offended. And I'll pull away and say this. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that much of the friction and division that has crept into families, into your marriage, into churches, would diminish if we consider this very option. We choose to overlook an offense. Imagine if you chose to overlook an offense. Imagine as we unpack this story today, if we become like the father in this account, and we choose to overlook the offense that was brought against us. In fact, I want to show you what I mean. Turn to Proverbs, keep your finger here, and turn to Proverbs chapter 19. Solomon said something in Proverbs that I've read hundreds of times, and it's perfect for today's message because this is exactly what this father chose to do. Look at Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11. Hold your finger here in Luke and look at Proverbs 19 verse 11. Look what it says. A person's what? Wisdom yields what? Patience. It is to one's what? Glory to what? Overlook an offense. Look at at the second half of that proverb. It is to one's glory. It is to your glory and my glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to disregard, to choose to keep from bringing up what was done against him, to overlook. It is to their glory to overlook an offense. What's it mean to one's glory? Like, what, what does Solomon mean that it's to your glory, Jim, if you overlook the offense that's been brought against you, that's been done to you? The idea of to one's glory takes on, it is to one's greatness, it is, it is a tribute to your, that you have done a notable achievement. And we know that we can only do this through the power of God working through us. And in turn, it is to one's glory. It is noted as a notable achievement. It's an award given to you. It is to your greatness that you overlook an offense. And when we do that, that glory is given back to God. So Solomon is saying, when you're offended... By something. When someone has offended you or there is offense against you, it is possible to choose to overlook that offense. And when we do, when we are willing to overlook what mom did to us, what dad did to us, what our husband or wife, what our coach, what our teacher, what our pastor, what our church, whatever it is, what, what our sister, brother, whatever it has been, when we choose to overlook that, it's to our glory. It's to our greatness. It's a notable achievement that's been accomplished by Christ working through us. What's the word overlook mean? How can you overlook an offense? Like, how is that possible? The idea of overlooking means, it means to to disregard, to choose to keep from bringing what was done to you to light. If you've ever traveled with us to Western Maryland to our Wild at Heart Men's Retreat, if you've ever been on the East Coast of Pennsylvania, if you've ever, ever seen the mountains of Maryland, and, and if you've ever driven along the way, and there's other places in our, our, our continent state that, that, that there's places like this too, but there's this one specific place that I can think of on the way from Maryland to Indiana. And, and, and as you drive along the mountains, you, you, you can see the mountains far out in, in the distance. And it's a beautiful picture of God's grandeur and, and, and God's display of, of his creation. And there's a sign that says, overlook. 
And so you can literally get exit off, and as you exit off, you drive up to this parking area, and as you come to this parking area, it's called an overlook. And if you get out of your vehicle, you can stand on the edge of this mountain, basically, and you can see for miles and miles and miles. And if you look far enough, you can see mountains stacked on mountain. And you all, and in fact, I've stood there sometimes just went, wow, look at that. It's an overlook. You stand on the edge, and there's a valley down here, and you choose to overlook all that, and you look out at this beautiful display of God's goodness. If you've ever been to these places, you pull in, and there's these little lenses there, these projections that allow you to to take binoculars, and you stick a quarter in, and you turn the quarter, and you can put your eyes on this viewing lens, and literally you can look into it, and it displays the mountains way out there. It is a beautiful picture of God's majestic creation. I can tell you that there have been many times I've went there and I've stood at the mountain and I've overlooked what was in front of me and I saw the beauty of what was out there. There have been times I've pulled up there too and got out of the vehicle and I can remember one time pulling up and all of a sudden I saw all this trash on the ground cups and McDonald's boxes and litter and paper. And, and, I, and, and, and I remember standing there thinking, how can someone do that? How can they put all that paper and all that litter there? Like, this is God's creation. And I got so focused and offended by the paper that I didn't even look out. I, I chose not to overlook the trash around me. And so the psalmist or the Proverbs Solomon says in the Proverbs, he says that you and I have this ability that we can take these lenses called eyes and when things happen to us, we can literally, we can choose to overlook what was happening to us. We can see all the other things that this person did. We can see all the good things that they have already accomplished. We can see what it can be like if we just overlook. But you know what we do? Instead of carrying binoculars and overlooking, we travel with magnifying glasses. And something is done to us. You know what we do? We do this. We inspect it. We study it. We remember it. And so because we have this magnifying lens or this glass, if we view people through this, we can't overlook and see that out there. We have chosen to focus on the offense, on the trash, on the sin, on what's been done by others around us, and we miss out on all that. Let me just ask you a question. What lens do you walk with in life? Let me ask about your marriage. Are you the husband? Are you the wife? That your husband, he can do 10 good things. I mean, wow, he did that. He's got that plan. He came through. He did all that. But you are so focused on that one thing he did wrong today that you can't overlook it and see that 
How many of you have refused friendships and relationships because you have carried the magnifying lens in that relationship with that coach, with that teacher, with that boss, with that employee, with that mom, with that dad, with that pastor, with that church, and you can't see all the good that's been done that will happen because you keep bringing up the lens of offense. Let me ask you a question right now. Who right now is coming to mind? That you remember. You can bring up. They did this to me. Solomon says, it's the one's glory. It's the one's honor to overlook an offense done to them. Think about this account for a second. This younger brother, this younger son blew the inheritance that he had worked hard for. The father probably worked 24-7. He had invested and he was excited. He even gave the inheritance to him early. And probably the reason he gave it to him because he wanted to see his son enjoy it. He offended his father by squandering on prostitution and on, and, and on a squalid living. This father had the chance when he saw him to, to focus only on that, hey, you blew the inheritance. And he could have focused on that with a magnifying, but he chose to overlook it. And thus, loved him, had a party for him. You see, this younger son didn't carry the family name with dignity. Doesn't every father long for their children and their sons to carry the name with dignity and integrity? Yet this father refused to carry the magnifying lens of what he did. He chose to overlook. He chose to give grace He chose to say, there is so much potential in my son. This younger son sinned against God in a very public way. But the father made a decision, we see here. As soon as he saw his son from a distance, what did he do? He looked out. He saw his son. And the passage said, this was a Jewish man. He says he ran to him. Let me say something about Jewish culture. Men in robes didn't run in Jewish culture. They didn't. The picture is he saw him. He probably grabbed a hold of the hem of his robe and pulled it up and he just went running for it. He overlooked what the son had done. He overlooked the offense of blowing this inheritance. He ran to him, wrapped his arms around him, loved him, kissed him, and his heart was filled with compassion for him. I'm blown away by this father's response. And it was for his glory that he did that. In fact, look at verse 20 of chapter 15. Look what it says in verse 20. So the young brother, young son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
As I read this again this week, and I've read this account many times, but not through the lenses of being offended. I wondered this. I wonder how many hugs are left on the table right now because some father, some friend, some brother, some sister, some mom, some dad, some coworker is still holding something against someone because they were offended and they can't get over it. Listen to me. You and I have a choice. And we can choose not to be offended. Look at the dad's response. Look at verse 21 or 20. He runs to him. And then look what the, 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 the son says in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called son. Even after the dad's gesture, think about that. Even after the father got done hugging him, even after he saw his father run to him, even after his father didn't hold it against him, he he was still feeling shame and guilt. And he says, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be called your son. Let let me be a slave to you. I don't deserve, like he wasn't ready to receive that. He had rarely, in fact, there was no doubt in my mind that that, when he ran through all the responses of his father, like that wasn't even on the radar screen. So what are some of the ways you know if you're offended? Like right now, like what's the practical application? Like what might be some indicators that that you're still holding an offense against someone? Like, what's that look like? Like, if you examined your life and, and, and I said, okay, here's some symptoms. If these things are happening right now, guess what? You are probably still holding the magnified lens of offense against someone. Here's some indicators that I've come to understand and see in my 54 years of life. You have withdrawn from that relationship. It's called the drift. It kind of takes place. It goes like this. It's like, well, you used to be friends. They did this to me. I can't believe they did that. And you're mad. You're angry. So you pull away slowly. Used to spend time with them. You quit spending time with them. You stop communicating with them. Because you are angry. You have the right to be offended. Let me ask you a question right now. What relationships are you drifting in that used to be near and dear to you. But the reason you're drifting and separating is because they did something to you and you refuse to overlook what's been done. It is to one's glory and honor, greatness, notable achievement to overlook an offense. You want another indicator? You carry resentment and bitterness in your heart towards that person. Like right now, you know who it is. And something happens and you're angry and you're like, Pastor Jim, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did. And you're angry. They didn't follow through. They were my friend and they said this about me and they wrote this on Facebook. I remember. And you're angry, you're bitter. There's resentment. You know how else you can tell? You distrust them. You then magnify everything they do. Like, everything they do. Because you refuse to get over what they did to you. Everything they do. They could be doing something out of the goodness of the heart. Let me check. 
They could, they, they, they could, they could do everything that, that any man would ever want a woman to, to do for them. It could be everything that every woman would want a man could, you could, you could, you could send them to the moon. But you're just, no, you're not doing that for the right reason. How many of you are doing that? How many of you don't even trust them anymore? And you have this distrust. No, they need to earn it back. They might not ever earn it until we get to heaven, maybe. Or you now have a rebellious spirit by pulling others into your camp. Their name comes up and you try to get others to agree with you. And so you meet with them and they meet with you and that person's name surfaces and they did something to you and you start telling them, yeah, this is what I know. Let me tell you, let me tell you. Yeah, that happened to you too. And all of a sudden, the same thing gets repeated by other people. Are you doing that? Like, are you still talking about something that was been done against you a year ago? Five years ago? Ten years ago? Six weeks ago? Or, another indicator... You like bringing up the past and the ways the person offended you to discredit them. And here's how it goes. Have you ever been in a setting where someone else likes them? They bring them up. And they love that coach. Oh, let me tell you about that coach. They, they, they like that boss. Let me tell you what he did to me. And they're praising that person. They, they, they like that teacher. They, they like that neighbor. They like that employee. They, they like that dad. They like that mother, they, they, and they love that pastor. Oh, like that pastor, let me tell you what he did. Jimmy Brown, I'll tell you a few things. <laughs> what happens when you know you still carry offense towards them is when someone else praises that person and you can't praise with them. Isn't that what happened to the older brother? The father was glad that the younger son came home. He wanted to have a party. Not only just a party, his son. The text is metaphor that he got saved. The son repented of his sin. A rebellious son. The prodigal son comes home and the older brother is ticked that his brother got saved. And the only reason was is because he can't believe that he blew the inheritance and the father is now giving him a party. And meanwhile, he missed out on the grand celebration of salvation. I've had people through the years, I've seen... Hundreds of people walk across the stage in salvation experiences. I mean, it's like, uh, just I'm blown away. Lord, it's amazing what you just did. And I've had people walk up to me after the service say, man, that music was loud. And I went. They couldn't see the grandeur of the mountains because of the tree of offense. Listen, are you that person? How else do you know? What are some other indicators? Your prayers seem not to be answered. Do you realize in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says that we should be considerate of our wives, and if we're not considerate towards them, it says that our prayers are hindered. Do you realize in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8, 1 Peter says, be of sober mind. 
Think how you act towards others. In 1 Peter 4, 8 says that, 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 we, that love covers over a multitude of sins. Did you realize the context is here? If you hold something against someone, if you continue to hold that offense against them, that your prayers are hindered. And so you go to prayer. Oh, Lord, heal me, Lord. Oh, Lord, please give me this job. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I pray that my kids come to Christ. Oh, Lord, I pray that for your favor. Oh, Lord, and here's what it's saying. If you hold an offense against someone and you mistreat them, then when you and I pray, our prayers are hindered. I know people right now that walk to the other side of the street and they see someone. I know people who are in churches together. They see someone coming and they turn and go in the other direction because of an offense that's been done against them. I know people that cut people out of social media. You're no longer my friend. I know people who are rallying support of other people to prove their point because this person did this against me. I often think about that, especially when it's a brother. Like, I want to look at that person and say, dude, do you realize that you might not want to spend time on earth with them, but you're going to spend eternity with them? So learn how to do it here, okay? You can leave or live free from offense. That doesn't mean that you, that you never be angry. That doesn't mean that it won't take a lot to forgive that person. It doesn't mean that you enable that person. But what it does mean is that you don't let that offense rule your life. We must examine why do we get so easily offended. Well, look at this account. Look at chapter 15. Look at verse 22. The father runs to the son The son says, why are you doing this? I've sinned against you and against God in heaven. I'm no longer worthy to become your son. In verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. If this father held this against his son, he would have missed out on this salvific celebration. Everything about this story causes the person who's quick to judge and be offended to tell you all the reasons why you should have never done this. The father is showing that it is possible To not be offended. And oh boy, do we have some of us that have our agendas need to be checked because we get offended about everything. Right now, some of you are just ticked at me that I'm talking about offense. That means I gotta go home and deal with this. Right now, you're posturing what you're gonna put on social media. Get back. Here's things that offend us. I mean, you think I'm kidding you? Here's things that offend Christians. You let the appearance of someone else offend you. You'll let someone's tattoos offend you. I can't believe they put that stuff on their body. What's wrong with those Christians now? 
or hair. Like, like you'll see a 40 or 50-year-old woman that, that wants to put some red streaks in her hair. You think, what is she doing? She's 50 years old. And you're offended by that. You let politics offend you. You let the political position of someone else offend you. And you are so offended that you need to tell them what they're wrong. Some of you are offended. You're offended that people will vote for Hillary Clinton. Right now, you're ticked at me because I said that. You're offended by that. Some of you can't believe that anybody would ever, ever, ever consider voting for Donald Trump. Come on, how can a Christian do that? And you will, you will unfriend them because that's their view. And you are offended by that so badly that, that you will refuse to associate with that person. Some of you are offended by just habits of people. They come to your house and they don't take their shoes off. And you don't tell them why they're after they leave. Oh, I can't, they're never coming back to my house. Didn't they see that none of us had our shoes on? We're crying out loud. What's wrong these people these days? Like, we get offended over dumb stuff. Some of you are offended by leadership styles. That pastor, he has too strong a leader. He needs to chill a little bit. Or he's too weak, or she's too weak, or that leader is too outgoing. He doesn't relate to us introverts. What's wrong with him? That leadership style is too fast or too slow or too confrontive. And, and so we get offended. And we, and, we, and, and, and we take the magnifying lens and we tell everyone about it. We're offended by taste of art of Christians. Like some people are offended that they let their kids have mermaid pajamas. Mermaids aren't real. Tell your kids they're not real. Holy cow, you got mermaids on. What's wrong with you as a parent? And we're offended by that. We're offended because Christians put skulls on their caps. Can you believe they put a skeleton on their head? Well, if you strip the flesh off of you, you'd be a skeleton too. Amen. We're offended by music choices. Like, 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 like. I can't believe people listen to Mike Meyer. He's a Catholic. Can you believe we listen to his worship music? He's Catholic. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, just the, we're upset people listen to Elvis. Don't you know that he got thrown off the TV for swipping his hips? And you still listen to him? You can't be a Christian. I'm offended by that. Or we get offended. That young generation, they listen to that hard metal Christian. Can you believe this generation? That offends me. So we cut off these relationships. We're offended by hairstyles. We're offended by whether someone's car isn't what we would buy. We're offended by motorcycles. We're offended that 40-year-old ladies wear leather pants on a motorcycle. Can you believe what's wrong with the women today? Well, I'll tell you what. It's a lot less offensive than a 70-year-old man in spandex on a bike. Seriously. Sorry, God, please forgive me. That offends me. 
We're offended by Bible versions. Can you believe that church doesn't use King James? Paul used that for crying out loud. Can you believe that Pastor Jim uses the message? Like he, he quotes that on social media. Like that's a translation or something. What's wrong with him? I just, I just laugh. We get offended by people's shopping habits. We get offended that wives shop at Victoria's Secret so they can go home to their husbands. Can you believe that Christian woman's at Victoria's Secret? Go do it, ladies. Go, go, go. <laughs> like, what's wrong with us? I'm offended. I'm not associating with Victoria's Secret, mama. <laughs> We're offended that people have guns. Like, can you believe there's people that they actually get these little pink cards and they conceal their weapons if they, why, if anything that's concealed isn't, concealing means you're sinning. Like, what's wrong? Like, like, what gave us the right? And so we have all these things that we're offended and we call ourselves Christians and we'll know we're Christians by our love and by our unity. We're offended by the size of a house and if someone has four garage doors or four garages. We're offended that, that master suites have hot tubs in the canoe, but they put a hot tub. I wish I had one. <laughs> We're offended that, that, that somehow the lack of acknowledgement of me, like I served that company for 20 years, they're showing more attention to that punk kid that just started. What's wrong with them? Like, don't they know that I worked hard? I didn't squander the inheritance. I was here every day. Look at them. They're paying them as much as they're paying me. What's wrong with them? And we're offended by that. So why do we get offended? Why do you and I get offended? You don't wonder why? Because we are preoccupied with self. We want attention. And we want people to know that we are right and they're not. Why do we get offended? We get offended when we see someone else getting recognition over us. And we're going to stop it if they do. Why? Because we're insecure. And we don't know that our identity is in Jesus Christ. Why do we get offended? Because we place unrealistic expectations on people. We tell them they should be doing this and they should be, because I have to do it, they need to do it too. They need to earn their way to this like I did for 50 years. And we're offended. Why do we get offended? Because our feelings get hurt. And we're like junior high girls. As 50-year-old people, and I just, got, I just offended all the junior high girls. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should say most junior high girls, not Ellie and Lily. Why? Because hurt people hurt people. Look at the response of the older son here. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. You're offended by they dance. Holy cow, can you believe those people danced? Verse 26. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? And they responded, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. 
But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. He's ticked. You can picture him. He is red in the face. He's in his father's face. He refuses even to call his brother his brother. Look what he says. He says, this son of your... He had already done what I talked about. He had already moved and drifted in this relationship. And it only took him three hours. He had already cut off this relationship with his brother because he was offended by what his brother received from his father. Right now, I know people who get offended and respond like the older brother, self-righteous brother. You see, we must determine the importance of the issue at hand. Like, we need to pull away and say, is this really worth it? Is this a time for me to just overlook? Like, things could be so much, and some of you, and we do with our husbands and wives, and we do, and here's what happens, your husband does 50 good things in a week, and then there's that one thing that he does, you hold on to that, and you just keep, you can't even see the beauty and the grandeur of the mountains, because of this one thing, and if you just open your eyes and overlook that one thing, you could see that he's done 50 good things for you, and your marriage would be much healthier, Seriously, we need to hit the pause button here. Ask yourself this question. Is this offense worth losing my lid over? Should I let this offense wreck this relationship and alter our future? I know people who call themselves Christians that no longer talk because they were offended by something someone said and they left. Doesn't Paul say in Romans, make every effort to make peace among one another. Doesn't Ephesians 4.32 says that we should love one another, tend our heart, love one another, and forgive one another. Doesn't this count show us that it is good to overlook offenses? The older brother would never be the same again after this. He was angry. He was bitter. He was resentful. He was not willing to come in for the celebration of his brother who had just received Christ. He was so angry and resentful that he could not celebrate a hundred people walking across the stage because you had an Easter egg hunt. I can't believe, where's that at in the Bible? (laughs) Believe me, I've had a few of those too. Look at the father's response in closing, verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. You see this father two times. He was offended. An offense done against him by the younger son. He squandered all the inheritance by the older son because of his response to loving his brother. And in both instances, what did he do? He chose to overlook both of them. And it was.
was to his glory. It was to his greatness. It was attributed to being a noble achievement to overlook the offense. I love this father here. and You know why? Because our father God does that every day for us. Listen, what would it be like if God held every offense against us? Joe Aldridge, in his book called Relational Lifestyle Evangelism, talks about four kinds of Christians. And I'll close with this short nugget of truth. He said there's four kinds of people when it comes to Christians. There's the professional weaker brother. He is a Christian who has a strong objection to something and believes that others should share that objection, such as clothing or drinking. If it's wrong for him, it is wrong for everyone. He tends to be critical of those who disagree. He's legalistic, manipulative, and will eventually separate himself from his sinful brothers because they don't do what he does. They don't believe like he does. They don't live like he does. So he pulls himself away and he gathers with all these other split Christians who have left churches and he gathers with them Because they didn't like how something was done. And he's comfortable that at least they do it the way he does it. Then Joe said this. There's another group of believers. Susceptible, weaker brother. He is sensitive to a particular sin. But understands that it may not be a sin for every Christian. However, he often vacillates, succumbs to his weakness. There's also another group of Christians called the non-participating mature brother. He knows what is sin for him and does not participate in it. He does project his conviction on others, but respects the parameters and demonstrates grace to those that differ. He'll say, this is what I believe. This is what God has told me. And so I'm going to act in response to what the Spirit is telling me, but I will extend grace to you. I won't judge you, but this is what I believe God wants me to do. And then there's this last group of people. Participating, mature brother. He believes he has the freedom to indulge in a particular area that could be considered a sin to another But he is cautious to not cast a stumbling block before his weaker brothers. Not to abuse his freedom or liberty. However, his participating has the potential to hinder or harm the genuine weaker brother. Let me just pull away and tell you what I've I've come to find out in 54 years of living. The majority of people that are offended are the professional weaker brothers. And let me tell you what else I know to be true. Most 
and majority of these professional weaker brothers have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 years. Yet they haven't matured. They haven't progressed in their sanctification journey to know, hey, what's for me is for me. This is the conviction that God has for me. And if others don't necessarily agree with me, I need to extend them grace. These weaker brothers, they institutionalize their offense, turn their preferences into across-the-line commandments. They often have no desire to spread liberty, but to enforce a set of guidelines on everyone. You've heard me say this before. I think we need to exercise wisdom when it comes to freedoms and liberties. You've heard me say this. I have chosen because of the platform that God has given me, and I've showed you why I believe what I believe. I believe it's a wise stance for me, and I extend grace to others that don't. I have chosen not to do things because of my position, because I know if I do this, it has the chance or the propensity to cause someone else to consider doing it too. And I'm okay with that. Listen, the choices that I've made, listen, the things I said no to, I'm not missing out on anything. But I don't take my convictions and say, you must do what I do. I extend wisdom and grace. I bet everyone in this room and in the link and across the internet has some work to do. I bet you carry this more than what you realize. I bet there are some offenses that you need to overlook. I bet that your prayers that might be hindered now will be released of this obstruction if you choose to overlook an offense. Oh Lord, help us today. I pray God that Holy Spirit, that you would move in our hearts. I pray God where we are carrying this magnifying lens close to our hearts with people, God that we would drop it. I pray Spirit right now that you would reveal to us, that you would affirm to us, that you would convict in us what we need to do with this truth. That it is good. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Please, God, I believe that we would see friction, disunity, and strife dropped if we chose to overlook offenses. So Lord, help us to be those kind of believers. Help us to be the kind of followers that follow the heart of our good, good father who regularly chooses to extend grace and overlook offenses. In Jesus' name, amen.